it's not fair that the person who makes more money feels shame for it or that the person who makes less money feels shame for it. But if we know that everybody's kind of having a like similar feeling from a different facet, we can start to acknowledge that the feeling is there. It doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's just present. And that you can still have a conversation and make plans even if and when and because those feelings are, are there for you all. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking all about money, money, money with Hadassah Damien. Hadassah is a professional strategist, award-winning queer artist, entrepreneur, facilitator, and educator. In 2015, she founded Ride Free Fearless Money, a blog and finance consulting firm with the mission of stabilizing progressive communities by empowering people's relationship to money. She offers consulting as well as online training and workshops to help people create actionable and equitable financial strategies. Hadassah, thank you so much for joining us today. I am stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. We're also super stoked to have you here. Um, we've uh, This is a topic we get questions about all the time, just all the time. And it's always a topic that we're hesitant to weigh in on because we're not necessarily experts. And we all kind of have come from different financial backgrounds and uh, different levels of financial education. And so we're super excited to have you here. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are very excited to have you here and have sent us a bunch of questions, which we're going to be tackling a little bit later. Um, before we get to the questions, though, we initially heard your interview on Callie Wright's podcast, Queer Explaining. Um, and if our listeners want to hear more about Hadassah's full story, we highly recommend they check out the episode Receipt Femme on the Queer Explaining podcast. But just briefly, how did you get in? into this world? Has this been a lifelong interest for you? Or was there a particular thing that was a catalyst for you? <laughs> so it's I definitely did not have in my life plan become a, a financial coach. Um, <laughs> like I'm a creative, I'm an artist, I'm a technologist, you know, I'm like a systems and process person. Um, and for for many years, I was really riding the line with my creative projects with the sort of and and you know for any of you who for any of you who are like the spreadsheet person in your group you're going to feel me on this but like <laughs> i was always willing to be the spreadsheet person and like the organized person whatever creative project i was doing yes i will like figure out how to set up the archives sure yes i'm going to like figure out the website oh we need to be a business okay great i'm going to figure out how to make us a business oh we taxes okay yeah i'll, I'll figure that out so it over like honestly you know a decade of doing like queer arts organizing and touring I developed a bunch of expertise um, and really trial by fire <laughs> in like how to use money with groups of people. And because I was working with like, you know, with queer artists, we were really engaged with questions of like equity and fairness and accessibility financially. Um, and again, because of like the communities that I'm part of, we were 
it, you know, and are still really thinking deeply about how to use money in ways that are as like um, transparent and like, you know, intersectionally inclusive as possible. And so I ended up just developing this skill set through needing to learn how it works um, in order to make my art and live my life in a way that felt aligned to me. And from that, I just started building up a small practice of writing about money, which became coaching, which became workshops, which became bigger workshops. And, and now it's been five, five and a half years. Um, and it's been really fun because at this point, I've been able to talk to all kinds of people who are thinking through so many different types of things. Um, and there's just so many patterns underneath it. You can get into that. But that's how I got in here. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to comment on when I think about, you know, the task of organizing, you know, the financial side of of kind of like queer art projects and communities and stuff like that. Um, that feels like a very, very different task than what I usually associate with people who have like a financial planning background, which is like managing estates and very, very, very large amounts of money. Um, and so I'm, I'm guessing that this background for you of kind of not only needing to be very, very intentional with money, but also like managing money in a field that's not like, you know, banking, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> and like high stakes trading and stuff like that, um, I would think means that then that's a little bit more maybe translatable and relatable to, I think, all of us out here in kind of non-traditional communities, just kind of uh, hustling and scraping it together for a living. Totally. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about it as a, even a statistic, right? How many people need to do large volume, high stakes trading in their lives? Just a few, <laughs> right? But <laughs> how many, like the day might come for one of us, um, but that's a might, you know, most of us have to make decisions every day about how we want to use money and how we want to use it with other people. Um, so there's like a whole set of really common decisions and things we need to figure out that aren't at the level of how do I set up my estate, right? Hmm. Right. So we received a bunch of different questions from our listeners on money in general, and some of them came more from like, how do I deal with money from like a non-monogamous viewpoint? And some were more personalized. So for me, I know I I feel like I'm sort of trying to figure out my financial situation in a way where I'm finally like making headway on it. And so I guess from from that standpoint, like, for example, I received my stimulus check and I was able to put a thousand of it, you know, in my savings, which I haven't had a thousand dollars in my savings <laughs> for a very long time. Um, and so I know that that's sort of one of the the things that you hear, you know, from a financial standpoint, like have a thousand dollars just so that you have a, a cushion in case something happens and you need to fall back on that. But from there you know, what What are the kinds of things that you would give to somebody really from a very basic level in terms of their financial planning and what they should be doing with their money from there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question. I love that you framed it in terms of like, okay, here we've like, I, I've got this basic one, right? Like have some money on hand. <laughs> um, yeah. But, <laughs> but to me, the, the question, and I think like the, the empowering way to think about it is, well, like, why do we want to have some money on hand? What triggers the like understanding of um, how much money to have on hand? And so to me, the like 101, like, where do we start with, with understanding money really goes to this question of like, well, what do you do with money? Like literally, how much money do you spend? 
What is your spending? What is your use of money look like? Um, because that has a ton of information in it that you can use to then kind of go back to the question of like, well, I want to have some money in case something happens. Um, say a global economic pause, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, but how much money should I have? Um, and when like you can start to answer the question of like, well, how much money do I have to use? How much money would I use if I had a little bit more than what I have to spend? Um, and that starts to help answer these questions of like, well, if I want to have savings, how much savings should I have? And to me, I'm like a really big fan of specifics where possible. Right. And so often for people that really looks like almost having like two ideas of what your spending is. One is your like reality check. This is like mm. what really happened last month or, you know, the month before. And then one is the like ideal of like, all right, if I was true mistress of my destiny, what would I be doing? <laughs> um, right. And so in, in, we don't have to like numbers for them to be helpful to us, for them to serve us and for us to be able to like make informed decisions from them. Um, but the knowledge of like, how much money am I spending really, really has this super powerful quality because then you start to be able to develop a plan around it, both for, well, what's an ideal amount of saving would be related to how much are you spending? Cause that's at least within how much you're spending is how much money you need. And then often for most of us on top of that, there's how much money am I also spending that like is more choiceful for me, you know? And so there's like, how much might I save from that? And then there's, well, do I like how I'm spending my money? Does it, when I stop and like get that real deal, like look at the numbers, does it feel aligned with how I politically want to show up, socially want to show up? Um, and then we can start to start answering some questions about, well, what does it mean to, um, to spend in a way that feels good, right? And without guilt and like, you know, with feeling like, yeah, this is right. Like there's a report that came out recently that said that sort of one of the many things that's sort of coming out of the um, like many economic changes like out of coronavirus is that people are thinking about spending our money differently. And about 25% of people said that they wanted to spend their money in ways that was more, um, <clears throat> what was the word that was more aligned with their values, essentially. Right. Mm, and so I think yeah. there's like a really big, this is a good moment, right. To stop and say like, all right, well, if I was going to do that, spend my money more aligned with my values. The first question to answer is, well, how, how am I spending it now? What am I, what am I doing? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there because it, I know for myself, the fact that I'm, I did get laid off. I am on unemployment currently. But for whatever reason, and, and I think that there are a lot of reasons, I'm actually spending way less than probably I ever have in my adult life. And I think part of that is because, you know, I'm not driving every day. I'm not having a huge commute, but also I'm choose I'm not going out and spending a huge amount of money in that fashion. And then I'm also because, you know, it's a scary time. I'm, I'm also not like spending on frivolous things. So I do think that all of that is really interesting when you are kind of put in this position where you have to sort of evaluate and assess, like, do I really need X, Y, and Z thing in my life? Or can I instead choose to make financial headway in these other ways? 
Totally. Yeah, I've been calling that new realities, new priorities budgeting, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because so many of us yeah. have new rea- realities right now. Even for people whose income didn't change, are many of us, if not all of us, our reality has changed based on our understanding of how we're going to operate in the world, right? And then for those of us who have lost work, been laid off, etc., there's in some, you know, there's a bit more of a like. Uh, have to, <laughs> um, in terms yeah. of like reassessing what you're spending and how you're doing it. But yeah, no, Emily, you make a really good point. So many of us are actually changing our habits and changing what we do, um, in terms of going out less or driving less that we're also seeing the way that we're using money is just different right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with a lot of things that do kind of become a habit. And I think a lot of our spending also can kind of be a habit, you know, whether that's, you know, buying coffee or retail therapy or, you know, like whatever, whatever way that looks that I find with a lot of habits, it's easier to change them when like there's a big shakeup rather than mm-hmm. just you're doing your same routine, but trying to like force this habit to change. Mm-hmm. That's kind of in a way it's we've all been given a little bit of that push toward like, here's a little chaos that you can maybe take and direct in a certain direction to try to change some habits. I don't know. I never really thought of it like that. Yeah. Uh, So, okay. So going back to this question of um, just how do you, how do you budget at all? How do you, how do you get a sense of this? A question that specifically comes up a lot with non-monogamous folks is how do you avoid going broke from going on dates all the time with multiple people. <laughs> so, and let's think about that more generally, not just right now where it's like, well, you kind of can't. So you're not. <laughs> you're right. But you know, you could be, you could be sending flowers. You could be well, mm-hmm. renting things on Netflix mm-hmm. together or whatever. Um, there, I, I can imagine plenty of ways that, you know, we could be, we could be connecting and trying to spend money. Although yes, not as many as before. <laughs> um, I mean, I would, I think it's a really good question. And, and I would slightly change the framing of that question to be, how do I not, how do I choose how I want to use my money in ways that make my life awesome? (laughs) And I would imagine Mm -hmm. that going on dates with my partners, um, and my dearest friends and myself, right, makes my life awesome. So each of us has priorities, right? And everybody has different priorities. And that's great. That's what makes us all exciting, human, different people. And so to me, it's about how do you decide how much money you want to put to your priorities based on what you have available to spend, you know, and so that could look like um, you can you can go about that two ways, right? You can go about it in a sort of like, monthly cash flow kind of way. And this is easiest for people who, um, have like regular income, whether that's like a salary type job or like a relatively regular consulting where you kind of like know how much money is is coming in. And you look at how much money is coming in and you look at all the things you want to spend money on and you assign an amount of money to dates with my beloveds, right? Maybe that's 250 bucks a month. And you're like, all right, this is what I got. I'm going to decide how to split it up. You know, maybe that's 50 bucks a week. Maybe, you know, like however you want to split it up, that's you start by like defining how much that's going to be, um, f- you know, and for people who have like more irregular income, that might look like a certain percentage of every check that comes in. You're like, I'm committed mm-hmm. to going out and living life and being with the people I love <laughs> and doing fun things that make us feel connected. So I absolutely want to make sure I have money for that. So I'm going to intentionally allocate a certain amount of money for that. 
And I think, you know, like Jace to your, the other side of your question is like, well, how do we make it okay with our partners and friends to say, I do have money for this, or I don't have money for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. how do we avoid mm-hmm. going broke, going out with all of our dates is I think transparency about our financial situation, um, which is, you know, you know, and I can also imagine a scenario where it's like, you want to not just be transparent about your financial situation, but you're also hoping to be like equitable um, in like how you're like kind of splitting up the resources that you're putting towards like different experiences with different partners. Right. Um, and sort of having transparency in, in, within that, like, you know, like I can imagine, you know, a scenario where you might want to make sure that you could go on like a big vacation with like a primary live-in partner, right? And you're like, look, I need to make sure I allocate a fair amount of money for this because (laughs) my partner and I, we like to say that we're like, oh my God, we're like vacation lesbians now, but we like to go to like, (laughs) like, we've been to Europe, we've been to Iceland, that shit's not cheap. So, (laughs) so, you know, we like save up a couple hundred bucks every month and then we bike across the Netherlands. Like, um, you know, <laughs> which I recommend, by the way. But then you're, Sounds amazing. you know, do it, do it um, when it's safe again, of course. But um, and then, you know, you come back home and you're like, all right, like you want to make sure you have resources for like a weekend away with like another one of your partners. Maybe it's a smaller thing that you're doing and you want to go, you know, rent a house and, and be away for a little bit. What you have to do, look, whether you have no partners seven partners, more or less anywhere in between, you step back and you say to yourself, what am I trying to accomplish in the next year? What do I want to do in the next six months? How much is it going to cost me? And then you walk back from that and you say, well, if I'm here today and I've got this like three grand Europe trip and I want to make sure I have at least money put aside to go two weekends away with two of my other partners, I need to like make sure that I'm putting four grand aside so that I can do this. And that means that maybe one less big night out a, a month, but it means that I'm able to like do these other things. So it's, it's some of it is, I mean, it's strategy, it's planning. That's where money gets seems boring, but it's actually interesting because it means that you're enabling <laughs> yourself to do some of these bigger and other things you want. And that's where, the, where you can like go into a conversation, right. With one of your partners and be like, look, yeah, I know we always go do X, Y, Z, but we're not, I want to change being doing that because I want to make sure that I'm able to go on these trips that are really important to me. And so you frame it in terms of like, what's important to you and why are you making a change or being sort of like intentional about something in one way or another? Yeah, I think that what, what you were just getting to there also, I think, ties back to just how emotionally we feel about money and Part of that challenge, like with this date question, is is like I think about. I have a a good friend who um, he you know, he and I are both uh, non monogamous. Both you know had multiple partners at different times in our lives, and in terms of the way that we go on dates, he does a lot of very expensive dates with his partners, uh, and I would say roughly, let's assume income wise, we're pretty much same as each other right so it's not like he's got way more money and that's why but for him i i do think there's kind of this emotional either that i want to do this to give this experience to my partners or maybe that he feels like he has to Mm -hmm. like he needs to do something big enough 
to like indicate that he loves them or cares about them. Uh, whereas I tend to not do a lot of very expensive dates. And I guess I'm just not so convinced that there's qualitatively a difference in our relationships and the quality of our dates. But I, I do know that for him, there's kind of this feeling of like either needing to do that or something that's tied to the amount of money something costs. Totally. Is that something you find comes up a lot with, with clients? I mean, I think what it is, is like, how do you express love and care, right? For some people, it's acts of service. For some people, it's listening. For some people, it's touch, right? Like that's a whole, I think, other other language that we speak. But if you know yourself and you know how you express, and if, you know, in the example of your friend, if part of what is really important to you is like lavish kick-ass dates, van, <laughs> you know, great. No judgment on like, <laughs> no judgment on any priority that anybody has, right. Um, or any choices that we want to make. It's then saying, all right, this is how I want to set my life up. And this is what's important to me. And therefore, um, I need to make sure that I've got a chunk of change put aside for these dates that I want to go on. And again, I think there's, the, there's this like financial concept called sinking funds. I really wish I knew kind of where this came from. Um, but it's also, I think, known as like the envelope method. It's this idea that like every month you take a certain amount of money or every time you get paid, you take a certain amount of money and you put it in either a real envelope or like a special savings account. And you don't necessarily spend that amount of money every month. But I mean, in sort of like boring landia, this is how you like save up to make sure that you can cover car expenses when they come up. Or if you have a house that you can fix your roof when you have to do it. But you're like, oh, okay, I put 200 bucks a month into an account. And th that account, you or that money, like you use it triggered by a particular scenario, right? So the scenario, I have to fix my roof, I have to fix my car, or I'm an, it's my date fund, <laughs> you know? And right. it's just, it's a pretty, it's like a boring but effective way to just make sure that you've put those resources aside ahead of time for yourself. And I also think on the other side, for some people who struggle to feel like it's okay to spend money on things, um, this is a way to make sure that that money is put aside. You've already said this is what the purpose is. You're living your life with your other money, however else you're managing mm. it. So then you're, quote, allowed to spend that money on fabulous dates for yourself and your partner or partners. That's so huge. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. First of all, I just want to point out, I love the term Boringlandia. Um, and then <laughs> second of all... Um, yeah, the the kind of setting money aside so that you're allowed to spend it, ironically. I know that's been something that's been huge for me as far as my own emotional connection to money, because pretty much the only lesson around money I got growing up was like, there's not enough, so don't spend it, hmm. you know? And so that instilled in me a lot of like very tight-fisted, very scared, very, um, you know, kind of scarcity model relationship to money. Um, and that for me, as soon as I switched to like, okay, this is the like... I literally, for me, my envelope method is I literally put it in an account labeled guilt-free spending mm -hmm. um, to try to remind myself like, okay, whenever you spend this money, you're not going to feel guilty about it. And it's it's really changed a lot. Like it's, it's really kind of really revolutionized, I think, my own relationship when it comes to spending on things like that. Um, I want to move us on to the next topic, which is uh, a doozy, which is handling income or class inequality within a relationship. And seriously, we got no less than 1.6 fucktillion questions regarding, <laughs> oh, <I'm sure>. regarding <laughs> this specific topic, you know, because as you can imagine, I mean, even in a traditional monogamous relationship, people have to deal with that. And then combined with, we see a lot of people where it's like, okay, well, with my nesting partner, we figured out this kind of money thing, or maybe 
we've been living the past 10 years with basically equal income and it's been okay. And now suddenly I have this new experience of dating someone who makes significantly less or significantly more than I do. And I don't know how to handle that. Um, so we can just start out again with the basics of that, of, you know, we have a lot of people asking, how do you manage things like splitting vacations or dining out or living expenses? If you're in a relationship with someone who makes a vastly lower or vastly higher income than you do. I mean, what I think is so interesting to go back to this question of like talking about money is hard is that pretty much like anytime we interact with somebody, a friend, a stranger, a partner, we're interacting with somebody who makes a different amount of money than we do. It's actually very rare that we're like always on equal playing field. That's just like a heuristic, right? It's a mental model that we have. Um, Hmm. But but it's only with people who we have intimacy with that we start talking about and engaging around like money and resources. And so um, I just think it's really interesting that it's like, this is where it comes up, like in relationships, because it's always happening. We're always navigating this, like um, this field of, you know, we are different than other people around money and resources. And I like, I'm noticing it a lot in terms of like, seeing calls for donations and, and sharing resources for people who aren't unemployed right now. And like the sort of tensions around that. But I do want to answer this question because it's crucial, right? How do you split income or how, how do you split costs or how do you start thinking about splitting costs with someone with whom you have transparently <laughs> shared or, or at least have a sense that you have different income levels. And I think there's a couple ways to do this, right? Like a, the sort of like most basic way to do it would be to like get out a little piece of paper, right? Like put the emotional part aside for a second. Don't actually put it aside permanently just for a moment. (laughs) Right. And, um, and if you have a piece of paper, you're like, all right, you make this much, I make this much. Your like costs are this, my costs are that, you have this much left in spending money. I have that much left in spending money. We can like add it up, get a total. You have a percentage. I have a percentage. Right. And, and that's like, and okay, great. Like, you know, the total amount of money we have between the two of us is five grand a month. Three grand of it is mine. Two grand of it is yours. I'm 60%. You're 40%. Right. That's the sort of like basic layer, but the thing that I think is important for us to remember is that like um, how much money you make and bring in is absolutely only one part of the equation because we all have different needs uh, for money to go out. Um, And that isn't usually correlated to our income, you know? So, and when I think about needs for money to go out, I'm thinking about the person who um, sends money back home or like helps their mom or their sibling. I'm thinking about somebody who um, has like um, a chronic illness, right? Or like um, some ongoing health need and they like, or mental health um, needs. And they're like spending a lot of money on um, therapy, health, wellness, et cetera. Or I'm thinking about the person who has like a massive student loan payment that they make every month, right? There's like so many, so many like really real and realistic things in there <clears throat> that I think it's important for us to not just look at how much money comes in, but for each of us, like what are, what are your like taking care of myself holistically things that money has to go out to every month before you really start to like compare how much money you have to somebody else. Um, I also think it can be really helpful before you like compare to start answering questions about like, well, well, you know, 
what does it mean? Or how did we both get to a scenario where we make different amounts of money? Because I think it's also Hmm. not quite equitable to say, well, you make two grand a month because you choose to work part time because you feel really comfortable working part time because you like feel like you don't need to save money because there maybe are like financial resources in your family. I choose to work full time because there aren't financial resources in my family. So I have more money, but I also, you know, don't feel comfortable working part time. You can, uh, you can also account for that with what I would call just like a sort of like a, an equity. Um, you would just like tweak the sort of like amounts of money that you're comparing, you know, with like a, I call it an equity adjustment right? You might be like, okay, for that, (laughs) in that scenario, let's like, take these percentages that we get to, which are just a conversation starter anyway, they're not like written in stone, and change them because we're accounting for something right on the back end. And so like, for example, with with my partner who I live with, like, that's what we do. Um, Like, she is in school, she is like, on like a very small stipend, you know, I have a day job, I have a project, I have investments, like I make, you know, like just throw a zero on the end of what she makes is what I make. Um, But it's not that I, you know, pay 90% and she pays 10% because we do this equity adjustment because um, I come from like a working class family. And um, for me, I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta save a lot of money to just kind of like, feel like I've got this like stable nest under myself. And you with each of your partners in any of your relationships, whether it's a romantic partnership, you know, a platonic life, <clears throat> excuse me, a platonic life partner who you're going on a trip with, whatever it is, you can have this conversation and think about, well, what is right between the two of us based on what comes in, what we need to spend and and the situation in which we're in. I want to pause yeah, there because there's like a ton in there. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> no, that was fantastic. And it reminded me, I want to give a shout out to your website and, and we'll, um, you know, direct listeners to some more information about where they can find you and your resources at the end of the episode um, that I noticed on your website, you know, since you offer a lot of your services sliding scale, you have this really robust chart for figuring out sliding scale that sounds like it's kind of like that equity adjustment that like takes into mind things like your family resources, your level of education, you know, the amount of debt that you have relative to how much money you have. Because I do think that when it comes to money, we are so used to attaching to the number and the number feeling very black and white. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, you make $100,000 and I make $50,000. So that's all the information we need um, when that's not necessarily the case. Or on the other side, there's the opposite seemingly black and white argument of like, yeah, but we're both equally getting to enjoy that date. So it should be equal. You know, it's like on either side, you can make this black and white argument, but neither of those really, I I think neither of those really feels good or equitable. Totally. And like, I mean, I'm imagining when I'm going on a date with someone who I want to be on a date with, I want us both to feel like happy and comfortable and like we can really show up and just be present. And if I, or if I worry that that person are like stressed out about the money, that's going to get in the way of us being able or each of us being able to be present. Right. Um, which is rough. So to me, I think about having these money conversations, um, and kind of like setting up ways that you want to try approaching money together. And I always say like the thing that you put, put, 
um, the thing that you like put together with your person or people, it's just the thing you're trying now. You can always come back to it and change it if it's not working. You're not writing it in stone, you know? So with whatever it is that you're trying, it's always going to be in service of everyone being able to show up, <laughs> you know, and, and be more present. Um, and I think just knowing that that's happening also like can open people up to want to be able to like participate in these conversations a little more or, or figure it out because it it is, I think, perfectly okay for someone to come in and say, you know, I'm really on the like split it equally tip. And I feel kind of weird that we're talking about not splitting it equally. And can we, can we, you know, unpack that with me. And that person is as entitled to being heard, <laughs> right? And like having their proposal for how to do things considered as anybody else, right? It's all, to me, money is really, it's about decision-making, which is why it's interesting because we're like taking information, weighing how we want to decide on it and then, you know, moving forward with whatever decision we come out with. So to kind of continue along with this idea of like what is equitability and what is being equitable in your relationships, we got a um, listener question about I, I think this kind of pertains to those people who do live together. But the question is, what if my partner makes more than me and expects me to compensate for the income inequality in housework or other types of labor, like maybe emotional labor or something along those lines? Like, what does that entail? Is that icky? Is that okay? Et cetera. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a question of like, how do you and your partner or partners want to um, be in conversation about how you get things done in your household, right? Um, because yeah, money is just one resource that goes into making a household run. Um, uh you know, there's all, yeah, there's all the time of getting things like clean. There's all like the sort of memory, like, you know, um, uh, executive function and like emotional labor of like just remembering things <laughs> and, um, you know, doing emotional uh -huh. work, <laughs> you know, as the rememberer, I'm like, oh, it's a lot, but anyway, right. So <laughs> one thing you could genuinely do and something I've done with, with groups of people is to like literally list out, like, what are all the things that happen in our household to make our household work? and run. Um, and then this is a conversation with, you know, the like, you know, group or two of you. Um, okay, great. Who's going to do what? And how do we want to make that work? And, you know, it, then that's your opportunity for like potentially someone who maybe like works more slash makes more money. Those two aren't necessarily, you know, the same thing, um, to say, Hey, like I spend a lot of time working. Um, therefore I can't do ABC right? Or I have resources, I would much prefer, you know, I worked with a partner uh, with two people who one person who was like, I work a lot, I would like to pay for a housekeeper, so that um, I'm responsible for the housekeeping, but I'm outsourcing that work. <laughs> um, mm, yeah. So that, you know, and, and then this thing for our household is done. And then what are you going to do? Right? And so like the other partner took like a, another thing or two on the list. And so the question, you know, my partner wants me to do other things because I'm not contributing financially. To me, that's like an opportunity to step back and say, okay, mm -hmm. what are all the things that our household needs? And how do we want to like intentionally, consensually, actively <laughs> choose to split those things up so that we can all feel good about how we've decided to try moving forward? Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. So uh, we also got a lot of questions. Um, 
you know, from people who are kind of in arrangements like this, where either they make a lot more or a lot less. And again, to bring it back to the emotional side of things of, you know, we got a lot of people asking about how to handle the feelings that -hmm. all this brings up, because we had a lot of people who maybe they're more financially privileged and maybe they may feel guilty or sometimes taken for granted. Um, Someone who's in a less financially privileged position, especially if their partners may be supporting them, they may also feel guilty or feel insufficient or things like that. Um, So I guess I wanted to bring it back to talking about like the financial side and especially the guilt that I think comes up when there's an imbalance of some kind here. Yeah. I mean, having like had pretty deep money conversations with like, man, four or 500 people at this point, something that I've noticed is that you know, and like, um, you just nailed it. Right. It's like, like coming from either side, there's like this sort of guilt. There's just discomfort. My hot take is that like almost everyone has the like secret feeling that they're doing money wrong, regardless of what you're doing. (laughs) Um, and that almost everyone, certainly not almost everyone has like some thing about money that they feel uncomfortable or ashamed or like it's not right about, which I think, I think is connected to the, like, I think I'm doing it wrong. Um, because I hear that with so, so many people to me, I, I start to think, well, you know, this is not like an individual problem. This is not a particular like couple or, um, partnership or, um, household. This is a, like a, this is a cultural narrative that like many of us have, um, just really, really deep in like how we understand how we're supposed to or not supposed to be like interacting and talking about money. Um, And so what do we do when there's something that's like, we're not supposed to talk about and it's bad and nobody can do it right. And it's like shameful. It's like, get it from behind the curtain out. Right. And there's like, there's this like famous, you know, study that people would rather talk about sex than talk about money. And so I think a lot of us have Mm -hmm. had like, you know, thankfully a lot like experience and practice and like talking about like desire and sex and sexuality and consent. And like these skills can serve us all really well when it's time to talk about money, because, you know, it really is about like listening to other people and like asking questions from a place of like, curiosity and non-judgment and practicing non-judgment with ourselves too. And so like an exercise I like to give people is to like do some money storytelling with your partners or your, um, Mm. you know, and and that could look like everything, anything as simple as like, you know, what was your first money memory or um, fill in the Mm. blank. I think money is a right. Or, um, you know, my family, failed to tell me X about money, but here's how I learned it, right? Like you can actually increase intimacy and know more about like where um, someone else is coming from by asking them a question about how they approach money Um, to start building the practice of literally just talking about money as a topic to kind of on-ramp yourselves to talking about, well, Mm -hmm. now that we have just even told a little bit of like our money stories, um, how, how might we like engage on this topic between the two or three or, you know, and number of us. Um, and it's okay that it's emotional, right? Like it's like one of my like biggest learnings, you know, was like figuring out how to like apply nonviolent communication to talking about money. And that, that was like a skill set that I learned when I was dating, you know, and number of people and like really needed to like get good at like 
um, it, like having sort of like what could be highly emotional conversations. But those skills are really, really applicable to talking about money because, again, so many of us have this feeling like we're not doing it right. There's shame. There's like gnarly feelings. How do we stop judging ourselves so that we can have a conversation with somebody else? Because I think with partners, you know, like I work with a a ton of partners who like have, again, there's always going to be someone who makes the most money. (laughs) So that person, whomever they are, even if they don't make a lot of money, right, there's always these are just numbers, right? It's just facts. Um, that person, you know, I think there's like a cultural norm about like, oh, well, you make more money, that's supposed to mean something. But but why? What is it supposed to mean? <laughs> um, like, these are really, really sort of like old narratives that, of course, we, we carry with us, because it's not like you can just wake up one day and like destroy all like the gnarly stuff that you we've been embedded with. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, like one thing at a time. Um, And I think a lot of it is like, it's not, it's not fair, right? That, you know, the person who makes more money feels shame for it, or that the person who makes less money feels shame for it. But if we know that everybody's like, kind of having a like, similar feeling from a different facet, we can start to like, just acknowledge that the feeling is there. It doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's just present. Um, And that you can still have a conversation and make plans, even if and when and because those feelings are are there for you all. Wow. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's really um, powerful. We're going to talk, we got more specific questions about the communication side of this as well. Cool. Um, but before we talk about that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors for this week's episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. 
So we want to move on to talking about communication when it comes to money. And I think one of the first things that people might ask when it comes to this and talking especially to a new partner about money is when is the right time to start talking about money in a new relationship? Because, yeah, even just broaching that subject seems particularly daunting at times. Mm. That's an interesting question, because to me, that's really kind of connected to potentially what your goals are, which is a weird thing to say in terms of relationships, not always, um, or like what you think is going to happen, right? And so what I mean is like, if you're like, like a first date, a second date, maybe not the right time. But if your first or second date is like, ends up being like a super expensive trip to Reno, like then maybe you are going to talk about money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> earlier right. on, because you're going to be actually having that conversation of like, well, who's paying for the hotel and da da da. Um, so some of it's just going to be about what are you trying to do um, practically? But, you know, I think, also, if something you're trying to do is like find a nesting partner, find somebody who you're trying to live with within not a horribly long amount of time, I would say within a couple months, you probably do want to start having that conversation of like, hey, like, how do you approach money from like a sort of household and operational standpoint? And some of that you can observe, right? Just by like watching how people, you know, do, do, do their money, you know, transactions when you're out and about with them. But some of it is a conversation, you know, how do you think about your finances? Like, do you have financial goals that you're working towards? Like, do you ever think about sharing money with a partner? You know, you don't have to immediately go to the like, how would you and I share money? Because you don't know that yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, you know, um, but you can start, I think, like seeding the conversation. Yeah, that's a hard question to answer because it's going to be so situational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think related to that, you know, I really like you talking about the money storytelling. That seems like that's really good for, especially if you've been in a long-term relationship with someone. Actually, you know what? I, I changed my mind about that because I feel like that's, the money storytelling seems like an exercise that it like that's building intimacy ultimately the same way that we tell stories to each other about sexual experiences or childhood trauma or things like that. I feel like money could very easily get roped into that. And that's something that I feel could very easily happen early, relatively early on in a relationship, kind of depending on the kind of relationship. Um, but, you know, people do ask us like, what's the... What's the easy, suave, cool, and totally non-awkward way to bring up the topic of money with a with a partner? Like, what's the super coolest way to actually seed that conversation with somebody? Hmm. Again, I'm like, well, it really depends on the person, right? Like, does that yeah. person like jokes? And you're probably going to lead with a joke, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> but really, you know, like, uh, does that person like? internet memes, right? Or like documentaries. Well, then maybe you're going to lead with like a documentary, you know, it money documentary. I know (laughs) nothing says fun, but like, are you watching (laughs) together? Like that guy kind of like invented how money got like made in the United States, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, Maybe, maybe that's your cool suave way. Let's listen to the Hamilton soundtrack and actually talk about like what happened after yes. this guy invented the Federal Reserve. Okay. You know? I mean, you know, or like maybe you're going to watch like a documentary about like, or like a little short, you know, look, it doesn't have to be a whole two hours of your life. It could be 12 minutes, 
you know, about like the financial independence movement, right? And you're going to be like, wow, like, how are these people doing that? What is that? And again, I think it's, it's a really interesting sort of like world of money landia because it's people who are like, how do I take a norm and do something totally different, right? And just completely like hack this, this norm, right? And so maybe you start the conversation with someone that's not, it's like in by not talking about yourselves, but just talking about like, how does money work? Mm, and you start to understand how, yeah, how does that person think it works? You know, or, you know, we're watching our economies in, in so many of our countries change, you know, like slow down in the US, we just reported a 14.5% unemployment rate for April. Um, you could just try a topical conversation, right? Like, what do you think mm. about that? Why do you think that's happening? Mm. Um, you know, who do you know that that's impacting? Or if your person is impacted, what's it like to be part of this like large number of people? What do you think? You know, and so it seeds a conversation because now you're asking, what do you think? How do you feel? Um, and it can get you into a conversation of like, well, you know, do you ever wonder what you want to do about that? Like, what are you thinking is next for you? Right. And it kind of mm. can like lead you into these conversations so that you're not approaching it like, you know, it's like we never want to be that awkward dad who's like, sit down at the table with me. We're going <laughs> to bust out a notepad and I'm going to ask you awkward questions. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Right. So really, then, the well, unless that's your thing. And then, you know what? That's totally OK. But like <laughs> negotiate it first. Right. We all negotiate first. Always, always. Right. <laughs> right. So maybe really the question is like, how do you um, <laughs> how do you like approach talking about money in a way that like lets that person feel like it's like a consensual choice to go in to the mm. conversation mm. and like maybe you even like when it is time to have a money conversation you make a date for it right hey i really mm. want to be able to like actually talk about how we use money together i know this could be like a sticky conversation when would be good for you to talk about that with me right Right. Yeah. And the, the idea of setting up a date for it, the thing that this conversation has been making me think is we have a, a thing called Radar, which is this regular monthly check-in that you can do in a relationship. And there's sort of a list of topics you go through. And one of those topics is money. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking something that we should add to that in the money section is just like each time you do it, ask a few of these storytelling questions. So it's mm -hmm. not just a like, let's sit down and practically do this. But I'm actually kind of excited next time Dedeker and I do a radar to be like one of those questions you said, like, what was what's your first memory of like knowing that right. money was a thing and mm. how it works, you know, or something like that could be a really cool way of, like you said, building intimacy, but also having that question on a deeper level than just like, how are we going to afford to fix the leak under the sink? Totally. Yeah. And then, like you said, then you're not like dreading the conversation. You're actually thinking about how it's going. You're going to learn something about somebody that you care about, which is always yeah. a positive, right? To like understand yeah. each other better. Right. Uh, so the next question that we got here is, <clears throat> what's the best way to support a partner who's going through financial stress if it's not desired or not appropriate to financially support them? Hmm. Like, what's a good way to support someone other than that? Yeah. So I like to think about like 
one of the greatest things about having partners is that you have somebody who you respect, you like, you care about, who you are like incentivized to show up for. Right. And so, um, to me then like, it's kind of like having someone who's like a cheerleader, who's on your team. You don't have to do all the same things to like have a great, you know, relationship with somebody else. So one thing you can do is just say, Hey, is there like a task I can take on for you? Right. That could be Mm. anything Mm. from like, you know, uh, pulling a credit report for someone and reading what's on it. Those things are gnarly, you know? Um, and there, and people can have like, I think really reasonable, but like really intense blocks about wanting to look at that, you know, or it could be like opening mm. old bills or old mail that someone is feeling like, Oh, I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to look at this. Right. It could be setting up an online account for someone who just feels like I just can't, <laughs> you know, I, I encounter a lot of folks and I think this really gets tied up with the, like, I don't know how to do money. I'm not doing it right. And like folks get, I think really genuinely stuck in feeling fearful and like, well, I don't know how to do it right. So I'm not going to do it. So now it feels worse. So I'm definitely not going to do it. Um, and so a way you can support someone is by like intervening in that cycle. And that really does often look like, um, you know, organizing paperwork, like finding accounts, making phone calls on someone's behalf. I think for a lot of people, someone else calling to like get some information on their student loans would be like the greatest act of love ever, right? Because then you don't have to do it. Um, And these are the kinds of things that I think like are like, romantic and platonic partners are great for because again, we trust them, we like them, we respect them. And so you just have to go in and be like, look, I'm not going to judge what I find in here. I just see that it is stressful for you. And I want to take it off Mm. of your shoulders. And I'm happy to get this done for you. Um, Could I ask, could I ask sort of the opposite side of like, what might be some things that are not appropriate? Like not, not great ways to help. Because I feel like I see that too, this desire to like, well, let me come in and tell you how you should be doing it. Yeah. I mean, telling someone how to do here's my hot take. There's a lot of ways to do money, right? Like we all think that we don't know it, but actually there's a ton of ways to do it, right? It's just about finding the way that works for you. But hounding someone on what your way is, is pretty much guaranteed to like get someone to not want to do it your way. Um, it's like, (laughs) it's like a pretty good way to not get what you want. Um, (laughs) but you know, so it is about finding that line between like, Hey, you're telling me you're stressed about this. Um, I'm offering to do this part for you. Do you want that? So like a, a consent always, right? Like, do you want me to do this thing for you? Um, I also think a thing you wouldn't want to do is like, if you had a partner who for some reason, like you didn't fully trust, don't give them your bank account numbers and social security number, right? So like these mm-hmm. things I'm suggesting are like with someone with whom you have a trust relationship. Um, you know, I mean, that's might be known, but probably worth saying anyway. Um, You know, and I think from the other side, like, like shaming someone for not doing something the way you would have done it or on the timeline you would have done it on is it's really unhelpful because that person is probably already feeling shameful that they have not done this Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Yeah. If we go back to the like, most people have like some feeling, (laughs) you know, of shame connected to money somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, those those things don't help. Right. That makes sense. 
Yeah. So finally, we're going to move on to sort of big picture future type stuff. And uh, our listeners were curious if it is ever possible. And I think where my head with this was like a V scenario, for instance, um, in non-monogamy. But like, is it ever possible to intertwine finances with multiple people without it just being like a big, convoluted, complicated mess? Um, it is possible to entwine finances with other people. I think without it being a convoluted mess, I'm like, define convoluted for me and tell me how organized you want to be. And then (laughs) I can tell you like, if it's going to, how it's going to work. I mean, what's interesting to me is that like, because I like, you know, am a business owner and I work with lots of people who have businesses. The thing about that, I think that people find money people find difficult about working with money in a business context is that you have to have a fair amount of tracking and transparency for it to work. And so you have to have some Mm. systems that you set up where you kind of like know what's getting spent and you know where, how much money's in this account and who has the cards and what's our plan. You kind of have to have a little bit more front end work and then, and then you have a system and you work it. Um, And then it's not necessarily convoluted at all. You just work your system. So it is possible to like have multiple people use money together in a way that's like pretty transparent, but everyone doesn't have to do everything. Um, And I think some of the best models come from the world of business and come from like worker cooperatives and like, like democratic workplaces where people are really thinking about how to have these conversations about money transparently. Um, You know, but we don't, I think, yeah. Oh no, go ahead, please. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, just a, I, in terms of something being convoluted, I guess I was thinking of like, you know, if I'm the the hinge and there's a person who, you know, I'm I'm splitting my resources and time between two other people in in ways, but they are not doing that with each other, then, you know, there is a potential maybe for more convoluted things to happen but i guess what you're saying is that yeah there you can still figure it out in various ways yeah i mean it's like you kind of would be working two plans like i I worked with um Mm -hmm. with a triad who was essentially setting that up and yeah the person who was the hinge like first to go back to the very beginning had to know how much money was coming in had to know how much money it cost like they were rent splitting in two places right so they're like all right like what are my costs with this household what are my costs with that household like they had to be pretty clear on like what um they needed so they could set up this kind of bifurcated plan um you know and i think like they had like the way that they had it set up where it's like one person was someone who they lived with most of the time one and so they had like shared accounts and they managed their money together in one way another person who they were with um they just like spent weekends with sometimes you know but regularly and so they didn't have shared accounts but they had this other way of managing their money together so it wasn't it wasn't like super easy to set up right they really they did have to have two working plans that they worked differently um yeah. But from like their experience perspective, they were like, well, I know how much money I have and how much I need to like kind of make sure I have available for these two scenarios that I'm in um, so I can make it work. Right. Yeah. It's like it takes it takes intention. It's not something you can just be like, oh, Definitely. throw this together and then <laughs> it's done. Go. Yeah. Yeah. We sometimes get asked, um, you know, I, I don't have any personal experience with this. I don't think. 
the three of us have necessarily personal experience with this, but we get people who ask about things like property ownership or bigger purchases that have more than just to more than just a couple involved, you know, like, I mean, we have people like seven or eight polycules, not necessarily that everyone's in the same relationship together, but they're connected and kind of like a chosen family unit choosing to go all in on a home. Um, I don't know. Do you have any experience with that or any advice for that? Um, I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I will say is like, once you get into like owning things, you're also going to want to tap a friendly lawyer um, just to make sure that you're Mm. like setting things up right in your state. Um, and that like, once you own things with other people, especially like assets that you, whenever you own something with somebody else, you want to think about the end state. And so there's two end states. One is we want to sell this or I want to get out. But the other end state is like one of us passes away. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, once you're like owning property, even with just one other person, you really want to think about, well, like. God forbid I get hit by a car and my like evangelical brother ends up co-owning this because I didn't set up a will. And now you own a house with this person who you never tried to own a house with, you know, um, you want to think about the end state. So, and and that's going to be like different depending on where you live, which is why lawyers are very helpful because they understand (laughs) exactly how to set things up. But so that caveat firmly in place. um, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like property is at least in the US, which is what I understand the best, but like kind of in the Western world is like set up to kind of like flow really nicely with like a nuclear family marriage scenario. And like the sort of like who owns what really fits well, if you just want to be married, known property together and anything else you have, mm-hmm. you're a bit of an edge case, but it's very, very doable. What I often will see people do not often, but like with decent regularity is like, you know, one or two people will be on a mortgage. If this is like a getting a mortgage scenario, which for most of us it is, but not all of us, one or two people will be on the mortgage because mortgages, they get kind of like, they are not going to put seven people on a mortgage um, unless you're getting a commercial mortgage and you all have an LLC together. That's a whole other scenario. It's much, much harder to get. (laughs) It's a way easier to get like a, um, like a, a mortgage for like a residential mortgage. So often one or two, one or maybe one, two people will go on the mortgage. Again, two, if you are married or like you really are willing to hack the paperwork together. But then as many people as is appropriate for your chosen situation, go on the title for the property. And again, if you're going to own something like a property with someone else, you want to trust them. You want to think about the end, <laughs> right? Um, but that's absolutely how I see people do it. Um, it's interesting because then you also have an opportunity to really think through probably not everyone is going to put in the same amount of money, um, at the beginning, right? If we go back to this, like everyone has different amounts of resources, certainly somebody makes more money than everybody else. Cause that's just numbers and facts, right? Um, how do you want to sort of set up the difference between like, you know, or do you want to have a difference between money that goes in to start up this project and like money that we sort of like put in along the way money that we might get out if one of us like needs to be bought out or if we sell this, it's a, it's just a chance to really talk about how do we want to set this up? I have a post on, uh, on my blog about buying a house with other people. I'll pass off to you all so you can link it. 
Um, right. Yeah, but it's it's super interesting. It's totally possible. I think more and more of us are thinking about it as property ownership just becomes in general more expensive. And as we're thinking about choosing the families and the people that we want to be with um, and having space, <laughs> you know, for more people to like be in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we have one last question here that's kind of about future planning and is very much related to this, which is just how does planning for retirement look different for people who intend to not ever get married? Because um, I know for a lot of poly people, we're solo poly or have just decided, yes, I want to have these relationships, but I don't want to do state mandated marriage. Mm -hmm. How does that how does that change things like retirement? I mean, it's interesting because like packed into retirement, I think is often the like, well, where will I be and what will I be doing? Right. Which is a question yeah. that you know, hypothetically is just automatically answered by marriage. We'll all be with this person and we'll be hmm. wherever we decide to be, you know, in and our house that we own in the house that we, the two of us own. Yeah. And it's just easy. Right. And yeah. Um, so it's in some ways it's like retirement planning changes, but maybe in a deeper way, it's like life envisioning the life that you want to have for yourself um, hmm. is just takes more intentionality when when we don't follow the like standard path. Right. Um, so what are the things that you might think about? Like you might really just think about, and something I hear a lot of people talk about is like, well, <laughs> you know, we, me and my friends were like, well, where's the old punks retirement home, you know, for like wayward queers. Right. <laughs> I'm like, where's the spot <laughs> that has a cabin that we can add another cabin, you know, <laughs> but, but I, to me, what that is, is that's like resilience planning outside of traditional norms. Um, which I, mm -hmm. a lot of us, I think are thinking about, especially right now. Um, so maybe the question is like, what, what types of ways are you hoping to be resilient when you're older, right? And when you're not hmm. working, because I think for some people, there's like the farm dream. And for some people, there's the traveling dream. And for some people, there's like the city condo dream. And, and in all of those dreams, you know, <laughs> we have the opportunity to think about, well, how am I going to have other people who are important to me be part of those dreams? you know, am I like, you know, and then you get to start deciding for yourself. Do I want to be like my own center point, but make sure that I have like space, <laughs> physical space, um, for, to welcome people in, or do I want to make sure that I have resources so that I can like go travel to be with people who matter to me? Um, I think it's, it's thinking a little more expansively. Um, you know, do I want to like, have like a fully paid off commune with a well by the time that we're 50 and everyone can just stop working and like whatever, right? Like we're, you're, everyone's going to have their dream. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. it is, I guess, like thinking, doing that little bit thinking forward where you go, okay, um, what, what would it take and who do I want to bring with me um, in starting to like actualize on this dream? Wow, I feel like wow. we need to go have some serious conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like seriously. that idea of, of resiliency planning though, rather than just thinking retirement. Because when as soon as you say retirement, it's like your mind gets filled with, I guess, these like traditional visions of what that is, or just like question marks fill up your brain of like, mm -hmm. I don't even know what the, what that could even look like. Uh so I like that idea of just resiliency planning or just kind of in general, mm -hmm. like what do what what would I like my life to look like then and 
um, and the people who'd be involved in it and stuff. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hadassah, this has been fantastic. That hour went by so quickly and there are so many good things here. Um, I'm really excited to hear what our listeners have to say. But before we go, where can our listeners find more of you? Yes. Um, this has been so fun. I love this combo. Um, so folks can find me at Ride Free Fearless Money um, at the internet places. So ridefreefearlessmoney.com <laughs> is my website, my blog. There's like just tons of like writing resources there. Um, uh, Ride Free Fearless Money on Instagram, Ride Free Fearless Money on Facebook, uh, RF Fearless Money on Twitter, which I use <laughs> in a mediocre kind of way. So find it or not <laughs> up to you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the spots. And I can definitely attest that your website, Ride Free Fearless Money, um, so many resources um, between your blog and uh, online courses that you offer and workshops and things like that. I highly recommend people go and check it out. There's just a wealth of wealth of resources there. Um, We're going to stay with Hadassah uh, for our bonus episode. We're going to be talking about figuring out one's personal money values. We're going to be talking about choice and control regarding money as well as other things. If you're interested in getting access to that bonus episode, go check out our Patreon. Uh, So we would love to hear from all of you. What are your thoughts around this? What did this bring up for you? What are the plans that you've made in regards to your own money? What are the conversations you've had with your partners regarding money? Did they go well? Did they go horrible? What have you learned? The best place to share your thoughts with us and with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamor In addition, you can also share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.